Pew Bibles from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. A prayer as we start. Like the disciples of old, we say, Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. I want to introduce this series on prayer and uh, later on in the series on mission by concentrating on the Lord's Prayer today that Jesus himself taught us. And to um, introduce this, I want to tell you a story which I came across when I was working in the United States recently uh, of what happened in 1857 when the country was at the bottom uh, of um, an economic and a spiritual low. Thousands of merchants were in despair uh, as banks failed and uh, railroads went into bankruptcy, um, factories closed, and many people were thrown out of work. Church attendance had dwindled to the lowest in the Western world. And there was much cynicism and skepticism about God in the air 
then uh, as now. Such was the situation when a man called Jeremiah Lamplier um, had a vision to start a noontide prayer meeting at a little mission in Fulton Street, New York. It was massively advertised, and uh, he waited with great enthusiasm for the first um, meeting, which took place on September the 23rd, uh, 1857. When noon came, nobody but him was there. (laughs) At 12.30, one guy turned up. Eventually, six people straggled into this prayer meeting. Um, Three weeks later, by October the 14th, uh, they had a 100 people coming to this prayer meeting. Um, Soon, other buildings were drawn in to accommodate the numbers. Churches opened up, um, but they were not big enough for the hundreds and hundreds that were coming. By March the next year, only a few months later, um, Burton's Theatre in New York that held 3,000 people was packed. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And it spread across the nation. And they reckon that about a million people became Christians as a result of this great prayer revival. Astonishing story, but what a reminder of the primacy of prayer. We all acknowledge it, and yet um, we don't do it. Uh, The church is poverty-stricken today in all sorts of ways, but probably in no area are we more poverty-stricken than in the area of prayer. We have superb technological toys that uh, we trust in, but we don't rate very well at prayer, do we? Uh, At least I don't. We have many organizers, but few agonizers in prayer. We have many players and payers, but not many prayers. If there was a scale of naught to ten, I wonder where uh, you would be on that scale. I would love to think that I was in the eight or nine region, but I know I'm not. And so, like those disciples of old, I want to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Wouldn't it be great if we could stop, um, if the whole of St. Andrew's congregations, the various congregations here, were to stop what we're doing at noon each day for one minute to lift up our hearts to God and to ask him to revive his work in Oxford. Just 60 seconds a day. I don't know what would happen, but I am quite sure that there would be a notable difference. Well, with those words of um, introduction, let's turn to Jesus in um, uh, Luke 11. Jesus, the man of prayer. And the Gospels are full of him at prayer. Um, Even very early in the morning after a hectic Sabbath's activity. Prayer all night before choosing his disciples. Praying again for most of the night 
at the height of the Galilean ministry when he had just fed 5,000 people, praying with his disciples at the Last Supper, and again in the Garden of Gethsemane, and again more than once on the cross. Man of action, he surely was, but it was perfectly balanced by being also a man of prayer, constantly abiding in the Father's love and looking up into his face. Um, So much so that in this account in Luke, it was Jesus' example in prayer that stimulated the request, Lord, teach us to pray. And those of you who are parents or grandparents here, um, when the little people barge into your bedroom early in the morning or late at night when they can't sleep when they've got a nightmare or something, if they could see mum and dad or the grandparents on their knees in prayer, that would teach the importance of prayer far more than any sermons or any books on the subject. It's the example of Jesus that stimulated that request. And Jesus' reply was this marvelous Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. Jesus never prayed it. He didn't need to say, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The prayer comes in slightly different forms in Matthew 6, 9 and following, and here. And um, I don't find any difficulty in that. I think something as important as prayer, Jesus must have spoken on on several occasions. And it begins in this breathtaking way with this word, Father. In the Aramaic language that Jesus regularly spoke in, the word used would be Abba. And um, you can imagine a, a little baby, or some of his first words would be, just as they say now, dada, dada, to the irritation of the mothers who do all the work. Um, so uh, in those days, it would have been so natural for the little one to say, Abba, Abba, Abba. And it means daddy. It's a very intimate, informal word. It was never used in prayer to God. Not until Jesus came, who was the true son of God, the one who could look into his father's eyes and lisp, Abba. But that word was grabbed by the Christians. Indeed, it was given to them by Jesus. And whereas he is the natural son of God, he allows us to be adopted sons of God and to call the father by the same name that he calls him. That intimacy of Abba. It's a tremendous privilege that. You don't have to go through endless rigmaroles and have special clothes and special postures and things like that in order to pray. Abba, dear daddy. And it's very noticeable, it's picked up in, um, in Matthew's account, that it's our father. This is not only uh, the individual approach to this very gracious Father. And actually how gracious it is. The whole gospel is contained in that one word, Abba. We who were strangers and aliens, cut off from the love of God by our self-centeredness and our sin, are welcomed into his presence on the same standing as Jesus himself and are able to call him Abba. 
But it's not just personal. It is corporate. He's our father. Not for private use alone. It presupposes the Christian family. And when the prayer has brought us into the Father's presence, it really gives us three petitions about God and his glory, followed by three about us and our needs. What a contrast this is to the way in which we tend to barge into his presence when smitten by need. And we come and bring our needs, often rather trifling needs, to him and forget the big things that the Lord's Prayer encourages us to prioritize. I remember when I was a postgraduate student in Cambridge, uh, we had probably the greatest New Testament scholar of the 20th century, um, Joachim Jeremias, certainly of the second half of the 20th century. He came to lecture uh, on the Lord's Prayer. That's unsofata, tremendous stuff. And uh, when he'd finished, he ended up by saying, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray for the great things. And he was applauded right the way out into the street. Remember that. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray for the big things. And the first of the big things is your name, be hallowed. What a note of adoration there. His name is to be hallowed. We long for his name, that stands for his character, to have the number one spot in people's hearts, in our own hearts, and then in the hearts of other people, and to spread in society. In society today, the name of God is constantly dragged into the dirt. Indeed, um, Parliament is beginning to consider a debate on whether to abolish the blasphemy laws. And it's only Christian blasphemy that is considered. His name is dragged in the dirt. What a contrast with the respect given to the name of Allah, not only in Muslim lands, but even amongst secular Western broadcasters. Let's pray for his name to become perfume again in society in this land of ours. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Kingdom, of course, is not a geographical location. Uh, The word means kingly rule. It's a cry for his rule to enter rebel hearts. It's a prayer, in other words, for the spread of the gospel. I wonder how much that um, features in your prayer life, to pray for for friends and neighbors, people that you love, people that are on your hearts, that are unchurched people. How much do you pray for them? I find this a real challenge. Um, as you see in the, in the, in the uh, pews today, there are these reminders about the Alpha Course, which is brewing up. And that has proved um, one of the most effective ways of bringing people to faith, uh, as we heard in that interview this morning. Will you pray for five people? to come to this Alpha Course. And there's not much time, as we heard. The opening supper is on the 23rd. Will you pray for five people? If you do, if you pray before inviting, I shouldn't be surprised if you find yourself not inviting three of those five, but all five of them. 
And I shouldn't be surprised if more than one person turns up at the Alpha course as a result. Pray your kingdom come and then invite. Your will be done. That doesn't actually occur in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, but it's strongly there in Matthew, and probably it's embraced under the idea of his kingly rule coming in the Lucan version. This third request seems to be more directed towards life in the kingdom. Not so much the spread of his kingly rule, but the intensity of it in the life of Christians. And if disciples are keen to see God's rule conquering the apathy and rebellion in the lives of their friends, who are not yet disciples, surely we should be no less concerned to see his will done in our own lives, Monday through Saturday, transforming us gradually, making us more like our master. It's a daily pledge of surrender. And it's only when we've prioritized these three things, your name be hallowed, your kingly rule come amongst those who don't acknowledge it, and your will be done in my life today. When that has been done, then we're invited to come with our petitions. And with impressive succinctness, Jesus tells us how to pray for ourselves. We're to pray for daily bread, for forgiveness and for deliverance from evil. All human life is summarized in those three. Give us today our daily bread. Our bread, of course, consists of our physical needs. And we're to bring them to God continually. And it's a good move to pray at the beginning of the day over some of the needs and the pressures that we know are likely to come our way. But there's a unique word used for daily in the original here. It doesn't come anywhere else in the New Testament. And it has a strangely moving and paradoxical meaning. It probably means, give us today the coming bread, epiousios, the bread of tomorrow, the future bread. Give us today... Poor, struggling Christians as we are, a foretaste of that eternal bread which will be our sustenance in heaven. Give us a foretaste now of the coming bread. I love that. That prayer includes our physical bread, but it includes much more. And forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. We never get to the point where we do not need humbly, daily, to ask for forgiveness. And that's why you find somebody like the Apostle Paul so often including grace, mercy, and peace in his greetings. That's why we confess our sins in every service. It gets the muck out of the way that we can look up into the face of our dear daddy. Forgive us as we forgive. And notice that as we forgive. (laughs) Matthew's uh, tense is even more challenging here. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
And I shouldn't be surprised if the prayers of some of us in this room today are hindered by the fact that that so-and-so down the road, I will never forgive him for what he's done for me. Well, maybe he's a total stinker. That's okay, but so are you and so am I. And so we're all on the level plane as far as that goes. But we cannot come and ask for forgiveness if we're not willing to give it to somebody else. This hand of mine stretched out open to receive the gift of forgiveness. I cannot receive anything in that hand if it's clenched as a fist against somebody else. It's not that God is narrow-minded. I'm not going to forgive you unless you forgive them. It's because he simply cannot forgive us. Our hands are not open for forgiveness so long as we harbor resentment against other people. Often our prayers are not answered because there's somebody, someone we simply will not forgive. It eats like a cancer into our lives. Forgive as we forgive. And then lead us not to the time of trial or temptation. There's the third we petition. It's for God's guidance and strength in the pressures of the day. Evil, um, which is the word you get in Matthew's account here, could equally well be translated the evil one. The neuter and the masculine are the same. And I think there's a point there that Jesus certainly was very clear about the devil, his wiles and his power. He had just had a major battle with Satan in the wilderness. And all evil is inspired by the devil. And so Jesus encourages us daily to seek the Father's strength to be delivered from the seductions of the evil one that lead us into temptation and the power of the evil one inducing us to sin. Lead us not into that time of testing in which we're going to fail without your strength. So there you have it. God is our dear daddy. We pray for his name to be hallowed for his kingly rule to be extended, for his will to be done. And we pray for our needs to be supplied, our sins to be forgiven, our temptations to be overcome. What a prayer. And all in just 38 Greek words. No vain repetition here. Very succinct and to the point. It's not the length of time that we pray. It's getting through to the daddy and bringing the needs before him. And had you thought that you could use each of these six headings, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and the other three for ourselves, you could use them as headings for your own prayer. And that, I find, is a very helpful way of uh, modeling my own prayer sometimes. And as we use it as a guide for our prayers, so we join with the first Christians who um, were accustomed to adding words of adoration at the end of this superb prayer. 
At the end of the Lord's Prayer in St. Matthew, you get this wonderful conclusion. For yours is the kingly rule. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory, now and forever. Now that is not in the original, but it is in a great many of the very early texts of the New Testament. And it shows us how these early Christians, lifted in prayer by the Lord and his prayer, just bubble over in adoration. Yours is the kingly rule in my life today, Lord Jesus. And if so, I can count on your power for all I need. And I promise that where there is any success today, I will not take the credit, the glory to myself for anything that goes well. Yours is the kingly rule and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen.